Check, check. Please, man. I'm sorry, buddy. I'm a blues man, alone sun cutting. Pray it at the feet, don't feel it, you keep running. Pray it at the funky drummer, keep strumming, cause I won't be stopped like hell, I keep coming. I'm a blues man, alone sun cutting. Pray it at your feet, don't feel it, you keep running. Pray it at the funky drummer, keep strumming, cause I won't be stopped like hell, I keep coming. I won't be stopped like hell, I keep coming. I won't be stopped like hell, I keep coming. So, welcome back to Mama Lesson Number One. Thank you for listening. I now have Vincent Perry with me on the line. And Vincent, to give full disclosure, Vincent is my financial advisor. And I asked him on the program because uh, during our financial advising meetings, he had mentioned some things to me for me uh, to do for uh, my loved ones. If not if, the day that we all, because we all got to check out. And so for the day that I have to check out and everything, and as I talked about before, my mother has taught me a lot. And one of the things that she taught me was how to die. And that was her last lesson. And that's the reason why it's the first lesson that I'm going to share with you all. And as I talked about before, her, she taught me how to die. My mother didn't cry. Not one time being in the hospital. She maintained strength for me because I am her only child, right? And when we were having conversations at the end and when she was in the hospital, one of the things she told me was, and it was in context of my car accident, but she told me, well, I'm the mama, right? I'm the mama. And so she had to take on that burden. And I appreciated it. It was just that it was hard. It was hard watching uh, her die. And, and so I wanted to help other people learn through what I had to go through where they don't have to go through it in the same kind of way. The other thing that the lessons that she taught me also was dealing with health and what we need to do. Our bodies are liars because as the older we get, the body we had 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, hell, yesterday is not the body you got today. And so when you get a ache, when you get a pain, when you get a feeling, right, you can't say you know what the cause is. You can't. She did. She used to self-diagnose all the time. And I used to tell her, you got a question, you need to go ask a professional. And I can't say that if she had gotten to the doctor any sooner, it would have changed the outcome, but we wouldn't have the question, right? We wouldn't have the question at all. And so we already talked about how health is an, an important factor uh, for us to listen to the question and not ever try to answer it. You don't know the answer because our bodies are like her kidneys were hurting. And so she said that she had a urine, urinary tract infection. Her chest was hurting and she thought that was because of the congestive heart failure and the fluid on her body and her head was hurting. Those three things were not anything that we had even ever heard of. It's called cardiogenic shock. She, she had gone into cardiogenic shock. And so it, it is, and there's no cure for it. And so once you enter it, they had to deal with the underlying issue. And that's the reason why her going to the doctor sooner most likely wouldn't have changed the outcome, but at least it would have 
prolonged some of her ability to speak and all these other kind of things. But anyhow, so we have Vincent on to be able to help us and walk us through this third portion of her dying is after she died, I went through a whole lot of problems. And so one of those problems is a people, and, and I know my mother is not the only one that had a junk drawer and in her dressing, right? And so her junk drawer, I started going through her junk drawer and I was able to find some of the important paperwork like two insurance policies that she had, life insurance policies that she had. But the third life insurance policy that she had came in the mail because she hadn't paid uh, this the, the November month uh, rent. I mean, not rent, uh, November payment. If they didn't send that, if they if she had paid up for the rest of this year, we wouldn't be filing until sometime next year when that mail would have came in. And Lord forbid if we had moved out and then they would have taken that and sent it back to the sender. Right. And we would have never known about that life insurance policy. And that, and that also goes for any other ones that we still do not know. And so one of those things is about important papers. I also I informed the bank of her passing either the day of her passing or the next day. Well, the young lady, because my name wasn't on the account, immediately froze the account to where both deposits and withdrawals were frozen when nobody could take money out or bring money in, including me. I couldn't get the money out because my name went on the account. And so that was a major setback. And so I'm bringing on uh, Vincent to talk about what are some of the things that we need to be doing, especially financially, to set us up to, so when we go that our People don't have to go through uh, what I had to go through. And Vincent, my first question is, what would be the paperwork that you would say to someone that they might need uh, to prepare? Not just, that you just need, because we, like I said, we all gonna go when we, and we just don't know when, right? And so, what kind of paperwork would like? that we would need to be have on our radar, a wheel, a, a living wheel, an estate, I don't know, right? Like, what kind of paperwork would we need? Thank, thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for, for having me on uh, to discuss these very important issues. There, there are certain several things in, that are certain, for sure. I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said, uh, two things are certain, death and taxes. Nobody who's ever lived in this country, for sure, uh, has, has been able to get away from those two things. So just like we live, we, we're, we're going to die. And so we have to think about the worst case scenario. Hit by a bus or train, God forbid, when I leave uh, work later today, and I die. What happens to the folks and the causes that I care about most? Another thing we have to think about is what happens if I can't communicate my wishes for some reason, whether it be some type of terminal illness or because I just can't speak, regardless of why that is, what do I want to have happen to my assets and to me personally, to my person? And so there are several documents that are very important to have in place, a last will and testament a revocable living trust, possibly beneficiary designations, advanced healthcare directives, sometimes referred to as a living will, a financial power of attorney, POA, insurance policies and financial documents, 
titles and property deeds. So those are several documents that everyone needs to consider. Now, at your direction, Derek, we can kind of take a look at what each of those does and why you want to have it in place. Okay, because in fact, I, I actually want to deal with something that I'm dealing with right now that okay. is really hard for me and that we need to, my mom was my confidant, my friend, my wisdom. She was a lot of these things and I, I can't ask her now because it never came to me. I never thought about this moment where I wouldn't have her, right? And so mm -hmm. let's deal with beneficiaries first, although you would think that would be self-evident, but it's not because here's why. My mother was my beneficiary in some of my policies and not all of them, right? My son is on some and then my mom was on others. But more importantly, my, my aunt, my mom's sister has no heirs. She has no children. And she had named my mother as her beneficiary. And if she does not update her documents today, and although she refuses to do it today, uh, and I've said it several times for her to do it today and she ain't done it, but if she died today with no new person, I think that money just gone. I don't know what the hell happens to it, but it, what I, or it then becomes a fight within your family that can tear your family apart over money. And so let's deal with beneficiaries first, how to pick them, I guess, when to update them or when to change them. Uh, do you need to inform someone that they are a beneficiary? You, you had mentioned a trust. And so then can I, so my son is seven years old. So can I set my son up as my beneficiary, but then for, I mean, for it to be in the trust for him, I don't know what the legal lease would be, because I want him to be able to get at 18, I want him to get this much to be able to go to college. I want at 21, I want him to be able to get this much because of, he just turned 21. I want him to be able to do 25, blah, 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 right? Is there mm -hmm. uh, ways to uh, do this? And so I want to talk about beneficiaries first, and like I said, how to pick them, when to change them. Do do you inform the person of, of that they are a beneficiary? Then do, can you, because I know it's not, a, you know, a, a binding idea, but if you then, because black people are oral people, right? And so somebody, like, so my mother didn't tell me what to do with her life insurance money, but let's say she did. So let's say she said, Derek, I want you to take that money and do blah, 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 blah. Well, she gone now. So she has no legal authority to stop me from doing whatever the hell I want with that money, right? And so mm -hmm. if you want that person, so let's say you wanted that the beneficiary to do certain things. With, so let's say I named the mother of my son instead of my son as my beneficiary because she's the mother of my son. I want her to spend that money on dairy. But by, by the fact that I named her instead of my son, then what, right? And so, so I want to tackle beneficiaries first and then we can go from there. Okay. So... A beneficiary designation is, in, in the simplest terms, it's who you want to receive an asset at debt. Now, this beneficiary could certainly be a living entity or it could be a non-living entity like a trust or charity. But in essence, it's your wishes, again, regardless of the type of asset. It could be, it could be a checking savings account. It could be a life insurance policy. But at death, 
this is the entity that you want to receive that asset. Now, if we are dealing with a living beneficiary, there, there are a couple uh, pieces of, that we need to be aware of. The, the first piece is this beneficiary who's living a minor or not. Now, if this person, if this is a living beneficiary is not a minor, then there, there are no issues. So at death, the insurance company, the financial institution will cut a check to that individual and is theirs to do with what they please. The, the decedent, the person whose asset it belonged to, they no longer have any say, as you alluded to there, as to what happens to those proceeds. Now, if we're dealing with a minor beneficiary, that's a different scenario because obviously if death occurs while that beneficiary is a minor, no financial institution legally can provide or, or turn over those assets, but legally those assets belong to the minor. So what happens? Well, the, the custodian of that uh, minor child now has to go to court and say, okay, these assets belong to this minor. Well, so now the court is going to say, okay, those assets need to be used for their benefit. Okay, are they going to school? Are you providing resources, food, clothing, shelter? What are you doing for that beneficiary? Now, in essence, that custodian will go before the court and maybe show receipts or some documents that's showing that they are taking care or providing for, for the needs of that minor beneficiary. Now, when that beneficiary reaches the age of majority, depending on the state in which they live, it could be 18, it could be 21. At that point, that minor, previously minor beneficiary can now say, okay, I'm of age, those funds can be released to me. And so when, when, when we're thinking about who we want our beneficiary designation or our beneficiary to be, to your earlier point, Derek, it, it, it needs to be someone who's obviously responsible because I work as a financial advisor. I've been doing this for you know 24 years and I've met many different clients who want to leave money or assets to, uh, let's just say, children. Some of those children may not be financially responsible. And so if we're dealing with a life insurance policy, we could be dealing with potentially hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions of dollars that beneficiary may receive. And that person, even if they are of age, they may not be emotionally responsible enough to receive a lump sum of money at one time. And so if that's the case, you might want to kind of think a little deeper about how you want to distribute those funds to that beneficiary at your death. And we can certainly talk about how you could potentially do that. Okay, so that's... So when we have our meeting in the new year, that's going to be one of the things I'm going to have to talk to you about because... I wanted my mother to be my custodian for mm -hmm. the money that my son will receive from the life insurance that I, I have on him, the, the, the major life insurance I have on myself or whatnot. And I do have him named as the beneficiary, but I didn't know until now that mm -hmm. his mom could then go to the courts and then and for them to award her the money to do with it to show she taking care of him. So I got to put something together. And, cause, and let's go ahead and say Vincent is not giving out legal advice or even financial advice. He's saying, here's what the things are that we would need. And so each of us would, should go out and find 
your own financial advisor. And if I remember correctly, Vincent is licensed in Tennessee. And so if you are in Tennessee, holler at Vincent Perry, right? He's a great, I, I, I would recommend him uh, highly, but wherever you are, make sure you speak to a financial advisor and or a lawyer to be able to set this stuff up that he's saying for you to be able to go out and do because I'm going to put together a trust. And so it sounds like that non-living entity will be the trust with then that could then do what I wanted to do for my son instead of someone else because like I have, I'm going to go give full disclosure. The money that my mother left me, I'm using a portion of it to get 100% out of debt minus my car and student loan, right? Only reason why I'm not paying off my car because I might go get another one and I'm not ever gonna pay my student loans off, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a mm-hmm. bet on uh, student loan forgiveness and the fact that I work for the government at some point, I'm, it's gonna be written off no matter what. So it there's no reason to pay that one off. And so, though, but everything else I'm gonna pay off and, and then the rest of the money I'm going to, and, and so that's gonna be part of my conversation with Vincent in the new year when I start, when this money start rolling in, is that I'm going to then invest it, right? I wanna be able to do what my mom wanted to do for me for my son which is put this by putting this you know lump sum of money into the stock market and everything that when Derek comes of age that i'll be able to give him not only a lump sum of money but to be able to put him in a position that she was never able to put me in a position for him to be able to go to school and not have to take out student loans for him to be able to go start a business and not have to go go seek bank approval or any of these kind of things right because i would be in a financial position to be able to do those things for my son because of my mother, right? She helped me get into a foundation to help build wealth. And so that's what I'm gonna do with that insurance money. But other people might do other things with that kind of money. And I I want my son to be taken care of in the way that I want him to be taken care of. I want him to be provided for in the ways that I want him to be provided for, right? I wanna be able to get him, help him buy a used car when he turns 16, but not to buy him a car. Right. And so all these kind of things. And so I want to be able to put all those things in writing. And so it sounds like I would need. And like I said, you know, he's not offering advice, but that's where uh, uh, a non-living entity, I'm assuming, will come into play for both someone that's a minor or like you talked about that adult person who might not be mentally, emotionally and or financially mature enough. Mm to be able to take on such lump sums because that's what I just sent off my mom's life insurance policies, a couple of them. And most of them, none of them had it where I could check a box saying, invest this money for me. <laughs> like none of it was like, uh, so we can send you a lump sum. We can do an annuity type of thing where you can say you get so much money a year and all this other kind of stuff. But all of those things was based on me and not what she wanted. It was still based on how I want to receive it. And so is my assumption correct about the non-living entity could be a place where your wishes can be taken care of? Absolutely. And, and to your point earlier, Derek, I always recommend that my clients, as well as others, I definitely speak with a legal professional because I'm, I'm certainly not a legal, I'm, I'm not an attorney. But a lot of these things that I talk to my clients about, I do recommend that they at some point uh, consult a legal professional. And so as far as that, that non-living entity, that could potentially be a living trust. And so for a lot of people, what they'll do is 
they'll set up a, a revocable living trust. And as the first part of that implies, it can be revoked while the grantor, the person who sets the trust up while they are alive. And so what a, what a trust can do for you, Derek, is it really gives someone, it gives someone more control from the grave, so to speak. Because as I mentioned before, if you only have a beneficiary designation attached to an asset, life insurance policy, checking savings account, whatever, th that's it. There's no other discussion. There's nothing else that happens other than that institution writing a check. Again, it, like you said, it could be monthly, it could be uh, annually, or in a lump sum, th th there's no other discussion. Uh, it, but that might not be the most effective mode to transfer that asset to either that minor child or to that beneficiary who's irresponsible for whatever reason. And so what a trust potentially could do for someone is it gives them more control. And you alluded to this earlier. So I have a minor child. I die while that, my, that child is still a minor. Well, I can say, okay, all right, little Johnny, you graduate from uh, college, you are going to receive X amount of dollars. If, if you, you get married, you're going to receive X amount of dollars. You reach the age of 35, you receive X amount of dollars. You, you can't do that with, with, with the beneficiary designation. You can do that with a living trust. And so that's what makes what that's one of the things that makes a living trust so powerful is because it allows you to have more control in the grave, as a matter of fact. Now, there's some other things you can do if you don't want to go through the added expense of a living trust. And then, and of course, you always want to talk to your legal professional about this as well. But you could set up a living, you could set up a last will and testament. And a last will and testament basically is, you know, what you want to have happen to your assets at death. Now that will, that simple will, if, if you will, will allow you to set up a testamentary trust. So that's another way to provide for minor children and pass on assets to them at certain stages or with certain conditions that they have met. So regardless of your um, status right now, your marital status, whether you're single or married, or regardless of your level of assets, you want to have some document in place that determines who receives your assets and under what circumstance. And so a simple will and or a living trust could certainly allow you to. Okay, sounds good and sounds good. All right. And so let's talk about the health portion of it. Okay. So one of the things that happened to me was so we decided that, like I said, my mother had what she went into cardiogenic shock. And so we was going, the only way to, to fix cardiogenic shock is to fix the underlying cause of it. So we were doing an aggressive treatment for her. And so one of the things that had happened for her was, and we needed all these things to happen to get her to the place that she needed to get to. So one of the things that needed to happen was, excuse me, was to get her heart back on rhythm. And so that was going to shock her back into rhythm. And we made that decision the Thursday before it was done on that Monday. And so we had third, we talked about it Thursday. We, we had talked about it all. The, the reason why we talked about it on that Thursday, because all the other steps had been met by then. 
Okay, so all the other steps have been met by then. So she had, they had to put this thing in her to measure the pressure around her heart. They had to put her on dialysis. And then the last thing was to shock her back. And so all the other two things, they did the other two things. And now the last little piece to see if we can get her out of this cardiogenic shock was to shock her back into rhythm. And so what happened was we talked about it on that Thursday. That Thursday is when they implanted. They, that's that Thursday was when they, they put her on dialysis. And we was going to wait and see how she took the dialysis. Was it going to help with all the other function uh, issues that she was having? But they had scheduled it for, let's say, 8 a.m. on Monday morning. Well, they get there about 7.30 and it was the regular routine that we had because this was her first time having this having a defibrillator shock her back into rhythm but and but all the other times she could consent herself and she couldn't this time and so they so we her and i i mean i went through the consent with her i, I always did it before with her as well but this was the first time they ever said these words to me which or to her as well was that if she loses her pulse. Do you want us to take life actions to, to keep her living? Do you want us to do chest to chest or put her on a machine? And they didn't put they didn't prepare me for this question at all. Now they could have said this on Thursday, and it could have given us time for me to talk to my my mom's two sisters, for me to Google some stuff, for me to read, for me to be able to research and understand. They didn't. They sprung it on me. They sprung it on me in that moment. And I, uh, because I, my mother and I were so close, we had talked about a lot of things. And I, let me go ahead and, I don't know if this is legal or not, but I'm going to put it in this podcast, right? And so if it ever comes to a place when I can no longer speak for myself and they saying they got to put me on the machine, put me on the goddamn machine, right? Because my mother and I had that conversation and she was the opposite. And I, I speculate the reason why she was the opposite was because her mom had a brain tumor. My grandmother had a brain tumor. And my grandmother had to go into the hospital. And the last time she went into the hospital, they put her on a machine. And now my mother never talked to me about this because we just, I, I was young at the time and it never crossed my mind until this question came to me for her, and but her, she, they had her, my mama and her sisters had to decide to unplug their mother, to take her off the machine, which then meant they decided that for her to die. It was either this machine is keeping her alive, and if I take her off this machine, it could be a chance that she could recover and all those organs go back to working, right? But more than likely than not, she would die. Well, my mother, because I'm thinking because of that, of having to make such a decision for her mother, she never wanted me to have to make that decision for her. So she never wanted to be on the machine. Whereas I say, put me on the goddamn machine, right? Like, I don't care about, look, don't ever take me off of it. How about that? <laughs> you won't be scarred either, right? Like, let's not get scarred. Let's keep it, right? Let's keep me on the machine and you don't have to unplug me, right? Don't ever unplug me. Anyhow. And so legally, I could have said put on the machine because the only person that ever knew about this conversation 
was me. I didn't know my mother did not tell me she was only telling me. <laughs> because to me, I was always my mother's son. I was always my mother's child. And so I thought she might have told the adults, right? Her sisters, right? The, the, all my mother was the youngest sister. So clearly you should have told your older sisters, right? I don't have siblings, so I don't know how it works. But I would think you would tell them, not just your son, right? But she told me only because my aunt had no clue what to do, right? She was like, they were like, she never had the conversation with us. So I was like, well, goddamn, right? Like, damn. And so I had to make a decision on the fly. Well, not on the fly, because he had already equipped me on it, but I wasn't mentally, emotionally, or physically prepared for that. And so after I said yes to the doctors and signed a piece of paperwork, I was hyperventilating, I was crying, and I literally had to run to the chapel. My mother was at Methodist Germantown outside of Memphis. And Methodist Germantown, as the name implies, Methodist, like the church, they have a chapel inside the hospital. And so I ran to the chapel to pray for my mother for none of those scenarios that they gave me in the moment right to make a decision so you had mentioned a living will Mm -hmm. tell me how a living or advanced directive how would this advanced directive or living will how would that have changed the scenario that i was under with my very good question and and so to illustrate what i'm going to talk to you about here Derek, you just gave a case in point about what happens when you don't have it and so i want to direct the, your, your listeners to a case that they may recall, I don't know, almost 20 years ago, Terry Shivo. Terry Shivo was a woman, I believe in her early 30s. I think she was in Florida, as I recall. And she suf- suffered a, um, a catastrophic uh, illness that left her unable to speak, to communicate her wishes. I think it was a brain injury. She, she was married at the time. Her husband was, they were estranged. He wanted to do certain things with her as it relates to maintaining her life or not. Her parents had a different idea in mind. They wanted to do something different. He wanted to move on with this life. She did not have a living will. She did not have an advanced directive. So there was a legal battle that ensued. And this went on for years. So had she, had your mother had a living will Now, first of all, I want to just explain a living will is a document that says this is what I want to have happen to my person, to me physically, if I'm at end of life. All right. I have a terminal illness or the doctor say that I have, I don't know, 12 months or less to live. This is what I want to have happen. Now, an advanced directive, an advanced healthcare directive is a document that says this is what I want to have happen to my person regardless of whether or not I have a a terminal illness, maybe I can't communicate my wishes. Had your mother had a document like that in place, we wouldn't be having this portion of the conversation because that document would have said, I want you to resuscitate or not. I want to be on a feeding tube or not. So everything that that you had to decide in, in a moment's notice she would have already thought about it. It already would have been on paper and she would have provided ideally a copy of that document to her healthcare agent 
that could have been you, it could have been whomever she uh, wanted to be her, her healthcare agent, she would have provided one to her physician and, and to those close around her. So everyone knew what her intentions were. If she did not want to be on a ventilator, she would have put that in that healthcare directive and the doctors should, and that's the operative word, they should respect and her loved ones should have respected her wishes. Now, of course, the doctors have final say so, but legally they are supposed, and of course you always speak to your legal, your attorney, but they're supposed to follow the wishes of that healthcare director. And that would have circumvented, that would have prevented a lot of the heartache that, you know, and especially that tough decision in a moment's notice. I mean, who wants to be put into that type of situation with a limited amount of time and with the ramifications of that decision? That is a huge weight, a huge burden to make in a moment's notice. So that that advanced healthcare directive or and or a living will, sometimes they can be combined into one document. That would have spelled out exactly what she wanted to have happen or what she did not want to have happen. So there will be no questions about it. And so your loved ones don't have to make that decision on a moment's notice. Yeah, it was uh, tremendously hard and, and hard to respect. One of my friends talked about like one of um, someone he was acquainted with died and wanted to be cremated. Mm hmm. And his family did not cremate him, period. Mm -hmm. They were like, we don't cremate, we black. And so they didn't cremate him. They didn't follow this man's dying wish because he didn't put it in writing. He didn't give it mm -hmm. to a third party who could then not ball it up. Like you said, give it out to your doctor, give it out to multiple, excuse me, people to be able to get your wishes. Cause, cause that's what I, I've heard enough stories from people knowing that their wishes were not done, right? Mm -hmm. And because like, for me, without my mother, I am not gonna put everything in writing because my mother was my, my safety net. I, I felt like I was, a, I'm, I'm a trap, I feel like life now is that I'm a trapeze artist without the net, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is the first time in my life that I don't have someone I unabashedly trust with everything, including making decisions for me, right? Because I, knew, I always knew my mom had my best interest in mind, period. And without that, so I know I need to put these kind of things, because I don't want to be embalmed, right? I, so I even have wishes for my funeral. And so that is another you know thing that I want to talk about. I want to talk about, now I want to talk about the funeral and that portion of it as well. But but before I move on the, the, with financial, because I don't know if my mom had listed me prior to. <laughs> so I, I know my mom, all my mom, and this is other, another thing that, that we intimated that I'm going to go ahead and outright and say is that, so my mom didn't put, she had stuff in the junk drawer, she had stuff all that so one of the things we we intimated is we need to put our important papers in one place or multiple places um, make copies or whatever but tell people where they are and only put your important stuff in there right but and then when it came to the bank account Oh, oh, and then that was brings me to the other thing people tell your people what your passwords are like I, I don't keep up with my passwords right 
And so my phone does. And so if you get access to my phone, and so certain people have access to my phone, so they'll be able to get in and get all my goddamn passwords to be able to go into my emails, to get into my bank account, and all these other kind of things. So what happened with me was once I informed the lady that my mom had passed, and I thought because my name was on the account, not on the account as in Deborah Lenore's and Derek Lenore's, right? Not that kind of on the account, but on the, like that I was in the account that I could have just come in and informed them that she had passed and I can pull everything out the account because I was concerned with bills being paid for someone who don't own, owe any bills anymore. <laughs> and I talked to them and then I saw the lady with, so the, the woman told, the teller told me that she couldn't give me the money or stop all the out, like she told me that she couldn't, but she ended up doing it. Cause that's what I was concerned with. Like, don't let any money come out. Right. And so what I did once I saw that she was typing, I went out into the car on my iPad and made sure my name was listed all over the place that needed to be listed. Right. I, Cause I knew my mom, I knew my mom, all my mom passwords. Same thing. And so I just logged into her account and boop, boop, put my names all over, like everywhere that it wasn't already. I just threw my name all over places. And so one of my questions from a financial standpoint, when we're dealing with banks, cause you talked about beneficiary. And so as a person that has a bank account, I've never filled out a beneficiary section with a bank. And so is that something we have to go purposely look for my aunt? was told before that put somebody put like literally put your name and somebody the, the person name that you want to have access to the account no matter what put both of y'all names on the account and in that way when you pass they got access to it because my mom was on my aunt's savings account and most of her money is in her savings account right and that way if she passed my mom would have access to at least her savings account money so what is the when it comes to banks and the, uh, let me say, cause this is also gonna deal with the funeral part of it, because I just talked about, I'm just now filling out the paperwork to be able to go send in. I, I literally put in the mailbox today, my mom life insurance stuff. My mom died on uh, October the 19th, 2021. And today is December the 8th, 2021 at the time of this recording. And it's well after her passing where I got all the paperwork in, the death certificate and all those kind of things. And which means my mama life insurance money did not help me bury her or put on that funeral or any of those other kind of things. And so your funeral home will front you the money and they charge a ridiculous amount of interest. We were lucky enough to have uh, enough cash but not for my mom because I couldn't get access to the money in her account. And when you have such a short amount of time from somebody passing to having a funeral, but a long time between the insurance you know, company sending you the money because a, a couple of her insurance policies, they got to do some kind of investigation. And that's going to be a whole nother conversation and maybe even a fight with some people because I, I think some insurance companies just want to hold on to that money, hold on as much as they can. And so I might even have to fight with an insurance company. Anyhow, and so we didn't use any of her insurance money to bury her. We were lucky enough to be able to self-finance through donations, through family members loaning out money that we can just pay back with no interest, right? <laughs> and having access to a deceased person's bank and money to, because one of my friends is an insurance person 
and, and I don't know if you can speak to this at all at, 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 or not, but so like my mom owned her car and the house that she owned the house already, right? She wasn't paying the house note or anything. So there was no asset that she owed anybody that they could take back, right? And so all the other people, we're just informing them, screw it, she done passed. She the one who got that bill, she done gone now. And so you're going to have to write that up, right? You're going to have to write that off as a loss. You got They have either some kind of level of insurance or that's part of their business uh, model. I don't know. I just know I don't, I'm not paying it and don't have to pay it, right? But to have access to her money to pay for her funeral was something that I did need. Right, because I there was a whole bunch of expenses. I, I live in Virginia. My mom was at the time was in Memphis. She was sick at the time, and so I came in, and so I spent, I, I stayed in a hotel for four weeks. It, that was quite expensive. And it was an expense that I wasn't looking to pay. And so I, had, I still had to pay rent. I still had to do all the stuff that I was already doing. And on top of that, now I'm doing hotels, now eating out all the time and all these other kind of stuff. And then when it came to the funeral and the repast, I bought a whole bunch of equipment to where I could send her off in the way that I wanted to be able to honor her and all that. And so I spent thousands of dollars that was not on the budget or on the horizon for me, that money in that bank could have helped me with. And so my question, after all those words, my question is, what is it that I need to do on my bank account to keep this from happening? Because like I said, I've never seen a beneficiary a section ever before when I still out, when I started a new bank account, right? You might get an emergency contact, maybe, but not where I'm telling you my wishes and nor do I want them. I don't know if I trust anybody enough to put them on my bank account because then they can go into the bank and take my money out, right? And so what's the, uh, what's the right way to do this? Okay, so there, there are a couple ways that, that, that you can accomplish this, and it's basically depending on the level of trust and relationship you have with that particular person. So you alluded to this earlier, Derek. One thing you can do, depending on, how, again, how much you trust this, this person, you can have them as a joint owner of your account. So if I have a checking account or a savings account or an investment uh, account, I can have that in my name only, uh, or I can add someone on to that uh, account and that means that they have the same rights and privileges as I do over that particular asset, that account. Now that obviously transitions into death. If I have a joint account and I die, that joint owner still has rights and privileges to that asset. Now, obviously, you need to have a high degree of trust to have a joint owner. Now, if I died, I can add a bit, well, previously, but before I die, I can add a beneficiary designation to that account. And so that means, as we mentioned earlier, those assets will pass to whomever I deem or, or lay out in, 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 uh, as the beneficiary of that asset. Now, another thing that some people will, will consider is they will consider what's called a, a financial power of attorney. And sometimes they can have a, a durable power of attorney. What that does is that empowers someone to make financial decisions on your behalf while you are living. So in the case of a durable power of attorney, what happens is that there are a couple ways that their powers can come into play. And this is now the, the person that we're speaking about, we're, we're speaking about an attorney in fact. Now, so if, if I set up a power, of, a power of attorney, I can name 
anyone I want to as my attorney, in fact. Now, their powers can come into play in a couple of different scenarios. One scenario is immediate. So when I draft this power of attorney, their powers are immediate. So that means that they can do whatever I can do while I am alive. So again, that's a high degree of trust that you have placed in that person. The, the other way that their powers can come into play, again, this attorney, in fact, would be if I can't communicate my wishes. So now here we go, we, we go back to something happens to me. I'm in a car wreck. I, I, I have this cardio uh, issue, cardiac issue, or whatever it may be, their powers will spring into action. And that's the terminology, springing power of attorney. This circumvents someone having to go to court. Because if I have assets only in my name and I can't communicate my wishes, my loved ones need to access those funds or they at least need to see what I have. So that so there are very, various levels of power that you can grant to that attorney. In fact, you can just say, okay, you could call up and they will discuss, they will at least just tell you what I have, just so you know. Or their powers can be just like they were talking to me. So they can take money out, they can transfer money around. So if for some reason, I see that my death, is, you know, they see my death is imminent. They can go ahead and take money out of that account while I am alive. And so they can start making uh, plans. Maybe they need to make me comfortable. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving hospice care or they need to make plans. So it, it gives them a level of control that but for that not having that document, there's no way for them to access um that account or getting information if they are not a joint owner of that account, or again, if they don't have that power of attorney. So those are things that, that can be done. Now, obviously at death, if we have a joint account, a joint checking account, a savings account, then I can call up and withdraw money from it, just like I can from an individual account at the death of the, the, the other joint owner. And so to your point, Derek, if your mother had a joint owner at her death, that other owner could say, hey, listen, I need $10,000 to, to plan this funeral. Now, and of course, you can always pre-plan your, your funeral as well. You can purchase your, your plot and get that all taken care of. But in case, in case someone has not done that, those are some documents that you want to have in place while you are alive. Okay, sounds good. Because, yeah, that's the a good transition to what I want to say about. So you're right, the, my mother and her two sisters actually went cemetery shopping mm -hmm. and one of them bought their grave site and the other two didn't my mom was one of the two that didn't right and uh, that became his own ordeal but then like you was but there was another portion of funeral planning that i, I want to speak to which is the last portion that both was a lesson for me and so you taught us financially what we could do to ensure our wishes are done in, on every aspect financially and that our people can have access to our finances as soon as possible, as opposed to like for me, I had to wait for a death certificate. Death certificates are hard to get right now because of COVID. And so it took over a month to get it. And, and the, that, that's the, um, over a month to order it. Then the amount of time it took from it being sent from Nashville to Memphis to the funeral home and then making it to me in Virginia. 
and all this kind of stuff. And so hence why I'm just now sending off the insurance stuff because uh, that's a tedious process that you cannot have control over. But another aspect of the funeral that I think is really important that, I, that my mom taught me in her death and the aftermath of it is like, like the obituary. The uh, who writes your obituary to me is really important. Now, my mother, before, while she was in the hospital, she commented my writing and how I write so well and how much she loved my writing and all that. But I want to make sure, I wanted to make sure that I honored her and not honor and center me and use her to talk about me, right? Because for me, what my mom is great for is all the things she instilled in me, right? That's what she's great for. All this wisdom she gave me, the strength that she gave me, the uh, self-confidence, the independence, like she gave me these things, but that's not who she was. But those are the things I wanted to talk about because I want to show people how appreciative I am of her, but that's not who she is or was, right? And so finding that balance of praising her for what all the things that she did with me and to help me become all of that, but it, and for me to talk about her life outside of me, right? And so I, one of the pieces of advice or lessons that I would say for all of us is, even if, if you're not a great writer, at least write down the talking points that you want in your obituary, that you want, like even design out your funeral program. Her and I, I had thought about talking to her about designing out her funeral program because she had so many specific things that she wanted to do. And just to design out her whole funeral program, right? She knew what songs she wanted to have. I didn't realize, as I said before, she only told me certain things. And so she had wishes when it came to a dress. I don't remember what the wishes exactly were. I know either she didn't want somebody to throw, take on the clothes that she own and bury her in some of her clothes that they can then be used by someone else or she didn't want you to go out and buy a new outfit uh and put just to be buried in it and instead of pulling one from the closet i really don't remember what it was because as a child an only child i didn't want to think about i didn't want to think about october the 19th 2021 I never wanted to think about it in any kind of real way. And so I just, I heard what she said, but didn't listen to what she said. And so when I tried to get my aunts to tell me, they had no clue what I was talking about because the only person she ever told was me. And I didn't listen. I didn't pay attention enough to know what the story was, but anyhow. So that's the other lesson that I learned through my mom is to for you to plan out, not just the casket and paying for that and getting the cemetery, the, the burial site. Don't just do those things. Also, help design the program. Pull out the photos that you want to be in your program. Uh, what, what photo you want to be your obituary photo? Do these simple things. And you might be able to even do it with your family because that's the other thing that I'm not, I, I don't have many regrets in life. I can't think of any. 
But one of the things I wanted to, I want to be able to get back, I'm not going to call it a regret, but one of the things I wanted to be able to get back was I was supposed to interview my mother about her life. I was supposed to interview her about her life. And I wanted to do it on video for prosperity. Well, she didn't want to do it. Uh, she didn't want to do it. She kept on putting it off because her hair wasn't done. And so I want to respect, I, not want to, I got to respect, and I did respect that she wanted her legacy and prosperity to be done in, on her own terms. But on the other side of that is that I wish I would have gotten her story from her and her perspective. And one of the things about writing your obituary and designing your program and all that, it would give you the opportunity to talk to your family and your loved ones about your life from your own perspective, using your own words and your own thoughts, your own feelings and how you want to be remembered, what you think your legacy is, as opposed to me having to, on the back end of it, trying to figure it out. And so that would be my last little piece. I want to thank Vincent for being on the show and talking with us about this process and the lessons that I had to go through. My mother said there's two ways to learn. You can learn by somebody telling you or you can learn, you can buy that sense, right? You can buy it. I had to buy this. I had this, my, and unfortunately, not, not unfortunately, thankfully, this the, hopefully the only time I ever have to do this, right? This hopefully is like my family, my immediate family was only my mother. My mother, I'm a product of a single parent. My, I don't know my father, right? Not that I would, even if I met him today, I wouldn't help participate in his funeral programming or any of that kind of stuff. And, and if things go the way that they're supposed to go, my son will have to bury me and not me burying him. And so this is some sense that I bought, that I, there's nothing that I can do with it. But I'm hoping that this will help you all to not have to buy the sense that I did, that we can st you can start having these, as hard as they are, you need to have these conversations because uh, now he said, Vincent said, uh, Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, one of them, they look like to me, so I get them confused, but about paying taxes and dying. But my mother taught me, and, and many of us black parents has taught us, ain't but two things you got to do, stay black and die. Them are the only two things you got to do. Everything else is optional, including paying taxes. Right? You might go to jail for not paying them, <laughs> but it's asked Wesley Smythe. He thought it was optional, <laughs> and he had to do his time, right? But and we all got to go this way. We all got to go that way, and and so we might as well talk about it. We might as well talk about it to ease the the persons that survive it ease their way of having to deal with it because now they ain't got to think about any of those things right and so thank you vincent for coming on the show and imparting us with your wisdom and, and teaching us what we need to know about this process especially financially is there anything you want to leave with us absolutely i appreciate you having me here derek and i just last thing I want to leave is just make sure you have anything that you own, make sure who will actually get it. And we, we talked about the beneficiary designation, if I have a checking or savings account, but you want to revisit that from time to time because your wishes may change. If I had a beneficiary designation with my spouse and I'm no longer married, 
I might want to change that beneficiary to somebody else because believe it or not, you die and uh, the, you know that asset may go to someone that you don't want it to go to. So always revisit those things. I am more than willing to, to talk to any of those individuals who are, are concerned about these issues or any other financial issues and license in many states. So I'd be more than happy to do a virtual meeting. And we always recommend you uh, seek legal professional advice as well. But again, I appreciate you having me on, Derek, uh, and I, I wish all of your listeners well. Well, that's a great point. And so tell us what your social media are, what your email or what your phone number is and where they can get in contact with you. I can be reached the easiest way is to pick up the phone and yeah, 901-312-7804. You can always call me. You can check me out at vincent.c.perry. If you, if you put in vincent.c.perry at Ameriprise, you're going you're gonna to see my Facebook page. You're going to see my website. You're going to see many different ways to contact me at vincent.c. Vincent C. Perry and Ameriprise. That would definitely, if you do a Google search, that I'll definitely come up. And so thank you, Vincent, for coming on. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Check, check. Please, man. Don't sun cut it. I'm a blues man. Alone, sun cutting. Pray it at the feet. Don't feel it. You keep running. Pray it at the funky drum. I keep strumming. Cause I won't be stopped like hell. I keep coming. I'm a blues man. Alone, sun cutting. Pray it at your feet. Don't feel You keep running. Pray it at the funky drum. I keep strumming. Cause I won't be stopped like hell. I keep coming. I won't be stopped like hell. I keep coming. I won't be stopped like hell.